Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I just wanted to start by saying how encouraging it is and how good it is to be here today to be able to witness the three <laughs> second graders basically read the entire Bible uh, for us today. Um, to watch them sing, to watch us gather here, you know, some things are not lost. And this is, it is very good to see this today. It's good for, for my soul. So last week I mentioned very briefly at the uh, beginning of my sermon about how when we're reading the Bible, sometimes it seems like we jump from event to event, from one thing to the next. And if you recall, Matthew chapter 3 is where John the Baptist is clearing the way for Jesus He's baptizing people, and then at the end of that, Jesus himself is getting baptized. And if you were writing a paper for second grade and the teacher was looking at it, that's a good transition. John the Baptist was baptizing, Jesus was baptized. But then chapter 4 starts with a remarkable contrast between the glory of Jesus' baptism and the challenge of being tempted by the devil. We go from these very cool waters of the Jordan to the barren wilderness of the desert to huge crowds, to solitude and silence, to a spirit descending upon Jesus and resting like a dove, to a spirit driving Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted, to the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, to the hiss of Satan the tempter, which I was able to easily distract your children and be like uh, right there with those Oreos, to being anointed, to being attacked, from the waters of baptism to the fires of hell and temptation, heaven opened, temptation beginning. And before we dive into our text today, remember Jesus didn't need to be tempted so that he could grow as a child of God. He endures temptation so that he could stand amongst us, so that he could identify with us, be one of us, and to show us that he is the Son of God without sin. And so I want you to hold on that into your heart today before we go into the Word. That the Lord does not ask us to do something that He Himself has not done. We do not go where God Himself has not gone before us. And it says in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. Now we know from James chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit, God, does not tempt us. But we do know that the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we will be tempted. And this is not something to prove something to God who knows all things. But these temptations that we face sometimes allow us to prove something to ourselves. I've said this many times. I like to tell people I bench 250 pounds. But it's on every Tuesday four or five times that I prove to myself that I bench 250 pounds means a little bit more. There's a reason that some of the strongest Christians that I have known have been the ones who have dealt with the most. Whether that is they have sinned much and lost to temptation many times and have been born again and now stand as strong Christians. Or the temptations and the struggles of life that they know all too well deepens their faith and makes it rich. Either way, those of us who have faced the long night realize that it is only with the Lord Jesus that the dawn comes. 
And temptation is very, very real. And very, very difficult, especially with the consequences that follow. It says that Jesus fasted for 40 days. A familiar number, I'm sure that you see it all the time. In Luke's account, Jesus was tempted throughout the 40 days. But these three, these three are the ones that we'll examine today. And so the first of the three is written here in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the Greek, it's better read that when the tempter came. I think it reads better when the tempter came because, make no mistake, he does come. Oh, let's go back just a little bit there. And Jesus, when the tempter comes, is alone. And I don't know about you and your temptations, but when I am alone, when there is no one around to see, when my sin will not have any effect on anyone around me, not hurting anyone, It is difficult to be alone. And then the question comes, since you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, a challenge, prove it, do something that would show that you are the Son of God. This is the first temptation that we see, that Satan will come to us and try to get us to use the gifts of God for selfish purposes. Satan is suggesting to Jesus that he use his miraculous powers to provide food for himself. And that if he truly is God's son, then he has the power, he has the right to satisfy his own needs. And we feel this temptation, do we not? Because surely, surely we have the right to satisfy our own needs. Surely as believers, as ones who come to church, who are raising our children this way, we have the right to be spared from any pain, from any temptation, from any struggles. Surely that's our right. And would Jesus allow His rights, His strengths to be used for a selfish gain? It's only bread after all. And I wonder what we do in our moments as well. Jesus would tell us this is how he responds. He doesn't spend much time thinking about it. He simply responds to the devil and answers him with the word of God. And says that everything that proceeds from the mouth of God must be more precious to us. Even food, even every right we are supposed to have. And by relying on the power and the truth of God's word, Jesus is choosing to engage and fight with Satan. He could have Hulk smashed Satan, sent him to another galaxy, but he resists him in the way of using the word of God alone so that you and I will always have access and can imitate and identify with this way of engaging with Satan when temptation comes and you are alone and you struggle with what is your rights? What do you deserve? The scripture here shows very clearly it is the Word of God that we are to use. We use a weapon that is ours, that is given to each one of us, that our children read, that is placed into our hands as soon as we can. A weapon 
that is used to define us, to identify ourselves as children of God. A word that he himself has promised to write on our hearts and give us exactly what we need. But we must understand that word. We must spend time in that word. Because if we have resist Satan in this way by using his word, we must be aware that if we are unsure of what it really says, Satan has access to it as well and use it as against us. Look in verse 5. He takes him to a holy city. He takes this gift that we have been given, the word of God, and so he quotes it to Jesus and says in verse 6, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. For such a small section of Scripture, there is quite a bit of deception happening here. And we see just how evil and how horrible Satan really is. He creates this crisis for Jesus. One that requires trusting God and a spectacle that must be proven. If Jesus can do anything, why not put yourself up on this temple, throw yourself off, the angels will rescue you, it's written right there, and all the world will see it, and then they will know. As if not a chapter before, the voice of God did not come out and say, this is my son whom I love amongst the crowds. But isn't it just like Satan to take the present moment and make you forget about the past what would it take for us how easy it is for the evil one to come and say I know that God was with you before but what about now where has God been in your life it was going so well for you what do you think you did that caused God to just turn his face away from you Satan takes the word of God and in our lowest and hardest parts of our lives, twists it so that we do not hear the voice of the loving God. We do not hear the full voice of God, but instead hear the voice that would bring guilt and shame and pain. Satan is quoting from Psalm 91 and leaves out a very important part of to keep you in all your ways. This is not a verse about testing God to make sure that he won't let you stub your toe. God does not promise, nor does he give protection from angels for sinful ways. Satan uses the word of God to deceive. And Jesus understood this. Jesus knew how to be in the Word, how to divide the Word, how to hear the true Father's voice. And sadly, we live in a time where too many people take the quotes from the Bible and use them for their own purposes. Too many times take the Word and make sure it says exactly what they say and leave out the parts that they don't like. And it won't be much longer, maybe we get another day or two before it starts going through its editing process and people changing it and making it more suitable for today's language, more suitable for today's culture. There is no more important time to be in God's Word to make sure that you are knowing it, living it, loving it, and teaching it to your children than now.
Because Jesus, even though Satan changes the words here, does not respond in a different way. He simply speaks the truth back to him with the word again. But this time applied correctly. That is the power of the word of God. That in the lies and the deception and the changing, the word of God remains what the word of God remains as. And the love and the concern of God does not change. And the spectacular and the needing to update the cross is what we need. It was there that it happened. It was there that the words, it is finished, were spoken. It is there that we learn that we do not need the spectacular from God. But we need the love and the trust which is given to us freely. In verse 8, for a final time, he takes him to a high mountain. And he shows him all the kingdoms, all the splendor, all the riches, everything that comes with it. And says, I will give it to you if you will simply bow down and worship me. I think he leaves this one for the last because the question here to Jesus is, what do you really want? And the question is ours as well. What do you really want? Glory, riches, fame, power. You see why we begin by confessing our sins and admitting our brokenness. You see why we take an offering because there is no power in saying I am a broken person. There is no power in giving away wealth. There is only sacrifice. What is it that you truly want? For Jesus, He knows these things, they are not Satan's to give. He knows that the true glory comes, the true power comes not from the devil and from taking the easy way. It comes from sacrifice and death on the cross. There are no shortcuts. And as a semi-professional Mario Kart racer, I hate to hear that. I love shortcuts. Guilty of always finding the minimum. Maybe you are too. We are raised to want to skip suffering, to skip hard work, to just have a reward, to have the fast food, the instant gratification. Everything programmed for our ease and put on a supercomputer in our pocket. Get as much as you can as quickly as you can. And yet here, in the simple acts of self-sacrifice and spending time in God's Word and prayer, we find real strength, true strength. And God does not finish with you in one day. If you leave here today and you start reading your Bible and you start praying, the temptations will not go away. But you will have a weapon. And you must remember that it is a lifetime, it is a journey of time and experience and time and experience without any Mario Kart shortcuts of following Jesus. It is a lifetime of bearing the cross 
It is a lifetime of fighting against self. Because Jesus wrote, worship and serve God only. And that hasn't changed since the beginning. Deuteronomy 6. Take that word of God and put it everywhere. On your forehead, on your houses, in your homes, wherever you can. Hear the promises of God. Because it is difficult to remember in temptation. It is difficult to remember in our trials and struggles. And so I'll skip to this from Hebrews 4. Because here is the real focus. In Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes, We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to that faith. For he is a high priest who sympathizes and empathizes with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And because of that, we approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. We are the broken people who follow Jesus. We are the ones who eat the Oreos. We are the ones who seek the shortcuts. But in the end, we are the ones who stand with Jesus. Because yes, our text shows us what to do in temptation. To use God's words and to battle against the deceiving ways of Satan. But the focus, friends, the focus is always on Christ Jesus. That's what we hold in our hearts. We hold in our hearts that He defeated Satan for us. That He overcame the evil one. That He is the sinless Son of God. That He has taken the fractured pieces of our life and puts them back together. So that when we stumble and fall, He speaks for us. When we lose, His victory still rings in our ears. He came not just to teach you or to show you, but to do for you what we could not. I pray that this Lenten season you will find strength in God's Word, that you will take your stand against the devil, and that each and every moment of every season you will know the love of Jesus that He has for you and what He has done for you. Amen.